All right, I'll encourage you to open your Bibles to Ephesians. We will read Ephesians 1, 15 to 23 this morning. That is near the end of your Bible, in the letters. It will also be on the screen. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, the God of our Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for for being able to sing praise to you, to talk to you in prayer, to hear testimony of how how you work in people's lives, how you call people into ministry such as Brooklyn and and how you change us, you grow us. Thank you for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Again, a, a sacrament that grows us, grows us in our relationship to you and to each other. And Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time where we're able to, to dig deep into it, to reflect on who you are and who we are. And Lord, I pray that this time of worship in all its different parts, that, that it may shape us and form us more and more into the people you're calling us to be. Lord, I pray that the words which will be spoken next, Lord, may they be your words and not mine. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Ephesians, a letter from Paul. Ephesus, a church in Asia Minor on, on a key trade route. Trade routes that go, go to the east and go to the south. Trade routes that help Rome to, to control and to, to exert their might and influence and power throughout the known world at that time. A, a, 
a city, something like a, a Vancouver or a Halifax or a Montreal in, in our countries, cosmopolitan cities where, where people from all over the world come and gather and, and settle down and, and you get this mix of cultures, but you also get this mix of faiths. So that you had temples from all over the world kind of popping up there and, and different faiths. And, and it became kind of one of the main cities of the goddess Artemis. And it's in this setting that, that Paul shows up for a little while. He's not there a long time, but he plants a church. And, and, and he goes away and, and, you know, you kind of hope that something you plant grows and then he hears news that there's some amazing things going on in this church. They're a, they're a generous church. They're a church that cares for each other. They're a, a church that cares past themselves for others as well. So it's growing, growing not only in numbers but in reputation. So, so Paul writes a letter. And, and, and it's one of his more joyful letter. it's, letters. It's, it's a letter to help the people get to know God even more and even more deeply. He can't be there himself, but, but he, can, he can still help them get to know God more through, through writing a letter about who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. It's a letter to inspire faith, to inspire hope. A, a circular letter, meaning that, that it was written to the church in Ephesus, but, but the expectation was that it would then go to all the other churches in the area as well. So likely there was a, a few people in the church who would have made copies and then delivered them as well. And, and, and this news, this letter of, of inspiration, of joy, of celebration, of, of going deeper into who God is, you know, kind of spreads through all that whole area there. A letter filled with joy and hope. A letter that is still needed so much today as well. And it's Paul's prayer. Prayer that they'll, they'll know and live out the hope that they have, that we have in, in Jesus. That their relationship with Jesus will continue to, to shape them and change them, inspire them to continue their walk in that way of Jesus. And, and when we talk about the way of Jesus, we talk about it in, in terms of how they talked about walking in a way of a rabbi in that and that they would listen and learn and imitate and, and they, would, they would work hard at becoming so like the rabbi that the greatest compliment they could receive is, is to hear someone say, when I see you, I see your rabbi. So all they wanted was for people to say, when I see you, I see Jesus. And, and I pray that that is our goal and, and our hope as well. These letters were read out to the people as they gathered together. They gathered together to grow in their knowledge of God and to grow more deeply together into the body of Jesus as is described in this letter. That's why they came together. They gathered together. We grow honestly better 
together than on our own. That's why even in Hebrews, uh, the writer says, hey, don't stop getting together regularly. One of the cool things about Sunday like today is we get to celebrate a meal here and then we get afterwards to sit around tables and we get to share life and we get to share stories and we get to encourage, we get to bless, we get to build up, we get to to hear what's going on in each other's lives and I pray that you'll also be sharing where you see God is working in your lives as well because that's how we grow. That's how we grow together. That's how we grow closer to God. I love how Paul affirms and builds them up with encouragement and blessing. There's a whole lot of criticism that most of us face today, no matter where we're at, no matter what jobs we're in, what role we play. And unfortunately, the church isn't absence from being critical of each other either. And we're much more quick to find fault than we are to find blessing. And that's why I love about Paul here. He says, you know, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The greatest gift you can give to someone. It's not something material. It's not it's not stuff. The greatest gift you can give to someone is, is to say, I see you. I recognize you. I see how you are such a blessing to other people. And I want to bless you. I want you to experience God's joy in you. God's joy for you. Someone once asked me, once asked a lot, why are we growing as a church? I said, because we're a church that strives to work together. The stuff that can separate us and divide us, we don't focus on as much. We're a church filled with people who are hospitable, who are friendly, who strive to be a blessing to each other and to our community. We slip, but at our heart, that's what I see when I see Bethel. See, Paul's heard about how the church in Ephesus, how their faith inspires compassion and generosity to others. And he's thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in them, leading them to a living act of faith. I have prayed that prayer for for our church for four and a half years, and I'll continue to pray it. It's my goal, and that's why I'm so encouraged. You know, when I hear testimony like Brooklyn's, you know how, in her own words, you know, she came to to know God in a deeper, in a more, more meaningful way, and it has shaped her, and it has formed her. 
Paul prays that God will give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That as they gather together, you know, we learn from each other and they learn from each other. The goal is to know God better, especially those who had not grown up Jewish. But the stories of a God who saves us out of slavery and oppression, a God who guides and leads his people, a God who provides, sometimes even in miraculous ways, a, a God who loves his people so much that, you know what, even punishes them at times so that they'll come back to him. A, a God who is gracious and, and forgiving. A God who provides justice for those who are taken advantage of or for whom life is difficult and hard. He walks alongside and provides. Paul's hope is that they'll go deeper in their faith and in their trust in Jesus by showing them who Jesus is calling them into even deeper love of God and neighbor, deeper in the love, forgiveness, and grace of Jesus, filling them with even greater hope. Paul reminds them that they're God's holy people, that God's power is for them and for us today because we're his children. And this isn't like the power that so often practiced by the culture at that time or, or, or like the pow way power is so often used and, and abused today. This is a power that raises Jesus from the grave so that God's people are saved from their sin and given new life and hope. This is power used to bless and to renew and, and to restore. God's power for us calls us to live our lives in his power and for the kingdom of heaven. I love how Professor Sammy Alfaro writes, the letter to the Ephesians as well as in other epistles of the Pauline corpus, the Christian life is represented in pneumatological terms. So that means pneuma is the word for spirit and, and, and combined with holy, holy spirit. So in, in pneumatological terms as living in the spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the interim period, as we await our redemption, the Spirit guides us to produce fruits of justice and righteousness, which are the marks of a true Christian. It is the Spirit's work in the believer which marks them as God's own people to the praise of his glory, as Paul writes in verse 14, just leading into our passage this morning. And this power of, of God leads us into a new life shaped by the Spirit. From lives which we were chained in sin and hopelessness, even if in the moment that we're living that way, it felt freeing and empowering because, hey, it was all about me and, and about my wants. It's amazing how, as the Holy Spirit kind of gets deeper and deeper into us, we think less and less about ourselves and more and more about others. Paul's prayer is that the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened so that they can see who Jesus really is. The Son of God sitting at the right hand of, of God the Father, a position of power where freedom looks like being God's holy people, dedicated to him and to his way. And the world that Paul and the church lived in at that time, it wasn't a whole lot different than our world today. The Jews were often persecuted back then and subject to injustice and violence. Having a lot of Jewish friends back in Montreal, 
really hurts to see how easily the world turns against the Jewish people. One of the synagogues that a Molotov cocktail was thrown at and whose front door was shot at was just down the street from where we lived. I know the rabbi there. That hatred for Jews then is alive and well today. It's a time of political chaos at that time. There were Caesars like Nero and Caligula. They used violence, the threat of violence, to intimidate people. When you look around the world today, there's still so much political chaos in so many countries, and our own country is not immune to it, where politicians seek to divide, where they honestly seek to hurt others so that they look bigger and more powerful. Violence was common. And it's more and more common today, even in our own communities. There were natural disasters, such as wildfires, tsunamis, floods, drought, earthquakes, all the same as today. Doug Bratt writes, If we assume that greed dominates our world, might we be more likely to lose hope? Might assuming that only sheer luck governs our world make us unlikely to trust that God rules over it, Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians who also see much chaos all around them. After all, they live in both the world and in God's kingdom. What's more, Ephesus is the capital of the pagan cult of Artemis. Part, perhaps that partly explains the apostles' gratitude that begins Ephesians 1. In it, Paul gives thanks, after all, not only for the Ephesians' faith, but also for their love for all the saints that grows out of it. It stands in sharp contrast to the chaos that surrounds them. While the eyes of our hearts that Paul talks about in this passage is a somewhat mysterious concept, it seems at least to refer to Christians' minds that God needs to open for us to fully recognize God's truth. And what truth does Paul want his readers to recognize? He prays that we'll recognize the hope to which God has called us. The apostle prays that we'll see more than what we assume is going on around us. When we see all the brokenness and hurt around us in the world, we can be tempted to believe that there's no hope left for the world. This thinking can even seep into the church. And honestly, when you look, it's one of the things with being online now is you can look at so many different churches and you hear a message in so many churches of hopelessness about our world today. 
And, and they begin to focus on the end times of escaping this time, this world, because they only see the evil and the wrong in the world. The only hope they have left is that Jesus is coming back. But they forget about the power of Jesus here now in the Holy Spirit. They forget that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. They overlook what Paul reminds us of, that God places all things under Jesus' feet and appoints him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And that's happening right now. Jesus is in charge and working his power over all things right now. That doesn't mean it's always easy or that it always goes our way. And that's why Doug Bratt goes on in his reflection on these verses. So those whose heart's eyes God has opened don't live for the moment, ourselves, or even just the people that we like. God's adopted sons and daughters also live to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ and our neighbors, including even our enemies. Paul also prays, however, that Christ's followers will more fully see what verse 18 calls the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. God, after all, promises God's sons and daughters an unimaginably glorious future. God's Spirit equips God's adopted children to do something similar spiritually. We learn to live by watching very carefully for God's work in our world right now. We learn to live by watching for God's work in our world right now. Let that sink in. God is at work in our world. Christians learn to look for God's signs of God's power, faithfulness, and love that aren't always obvious to the untrained eye. That's why we come together, we gather together to learn, to study, to encourage, to bless, to grow. It doesn't come naturally. This is why Paul points them to the Holy Spirit who enlightens our hearts so that we can see Jesus at work in our world, even in the brokenness, often using us as his body to be his presence and hope. And we grow in faith as we gather together to learn. So our eyes are opened both by the Holy Spirit's presence in the world and through the Bible's testimony of who Jesus is. And we get to see some really cool things happening. This past week I was able to talk with Val who had just come back from Mexico and Fuente de Vida and, and he, she shared how she was impacted by the pastor's work there, living out the presence of Jesus and the hardness of life there. It's important for us that we learn to see how God is working in our community right here, right now. 
And we are connected to God through Jesus. Sarah Heinrich writes that in these verses, we come to the mystery of our connection to God in Christ. Jesus Christ has been made the head, or the Greek word is kafal, of all things for the church. Kafal makes more sense as the head in headwaters. It is the source from which flows all that he is, his body, the fullness of him which fills all in all. Jesus raised to God's presence is like the headwaters of the Mississippi that now expands to fill, shape, and even become his people. Jesus has broken the levees, the dikes, and he has overflowed all things for the life of his church, which may live in praise of his glory. I love that picture of the spirit of of Jesus flowing into us, calling us to go out in our daily lives with a spirit of hope, a message of hope, shaped by Jesus' message, life, death, and resurrection, to bring the message of hope of Jesus to lead others into the kingdom of heaven. We follow Jesus' call to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So this morning, we've come to, to gather. We've come to learn. We've come to grow. But now we come to that time in the service where we're called to go. To go with the message of Jesus Christ. To go with the life-changing presence of the Holy Spirit. To go with an invitation to say, come, walk with me as we walk the path of Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for, for teachers like Paul who who go deep into who you are and who help us to get to know you better. But Lord, it's not meant to, be, to stay with us. We are taught, we grow so that we can go and we can share your love, your call, your invitation with the rest of the world, starting right here. Thank you. Amen.